Novel Hand Podcast. Today is Monday, December 7th, and I'm your host, Alexa. Today, we are talking about chocolate. So, I love chocolate, but recently I've been learning more about uh, the industry and the supply chains, and I've learned that there is a dark side of chocolate. No pun intended. So I'll start with this Supreme Court case that occurred on Tuesday. The cases, so there's two cases and they were consolidated, which means that the court heard them at the same time. It was Nestle Incorporated USA versus Doe and Cargill Incorporated versus Doe. So basically it was these two huge multinational corporations based in the U.S. versus Doe, which means um, victims that are suing these huge companies. Um, So in these cases, six Malian citizens, so people from Mali, which is in Africa, they allege that they were trafficked and used as slaves on cocoa plantations in Ivory Coast, which is a country in Western Africa, when they were children. Um, And that's pretty shocking. And they were suing these companies because they allege that Nestle and Cargill buy cocoa from those cocoa plantations and then... um, use it to create the chocolate that we eat, that consumers around the world eat. Um, And they're not alleging that Nestle and Cargill, you know, committed these crimes, but that they aided and abetted in these massive, you know, human rights violations by buying chocolate, um, or by buying the cocoa, which is then turned into chocolate from those plantations. Um, And so that is, you know, horrific to hear about, and I think as consumers, something we probably, you know, don't know a lot about, but it's actually a huge issue um, in West Africa. So a lot, most of, you know, the chocolate that we eat is, um, the cocoa that goes into that chocolate is grown in West Africa, um, and largely in the two countries of Ivory Coast, which is also, I'm going to butcher this, but you might see it, (laughs) you might see it written as Cote d'Ivoire. which is French for Ivory Coast, and then also in Ghana, so those two West African countries. And obviously those countries, as you might know, are pretty poor, um, but, you know, that is where there are great growing conditions for cocoa, and so that's where, you know, the bulk of the world's cocoa is grown, um, which is then turned from the cocoa bean into chocolate that we eat. But according to a report um, produced by the University of Chicago and and funded by the Department of Labor, as recently as 2018 and 2019, there were millions of children working on those cocoa plantations as child laborers. Um, And many of those children were, you know, trafficked, as we heard about in that Supreme Court case, or they were, you know, tricked into um, thinking or believing that there was a great, you know, job opportunity for them on these plantations, and then um, it turned out that they were, you know, that they were tricked and that they were um, not fairly compensated for their work, and that there were, you know, unsafe working conditions. A lot of times they use, like, machetes to cut down the cocoa from the tree, um, and there's no, you know, not great health infrastructure there to care for them if they are hurt, and then, of course, um, missing out on education because they are working instead of being in school and kids as young as 12 or 13 in some of these reports. Um, And this is an issue that, you know, did not just come up in the Supreme Court. It's something that's been um, talked about for almost 20 years now. So in 2000, um, 
this came to the attention of two U.S. congressmen, um, Harkin and Engel, and they were from uh, New York and another state that I can't remember, but they brought this to the attention of Congress um, that these huge um, multinational corporations that are headquartered in the U.S., that they use um, child labor and slave labor, and, you know, it's in many cases, it is forced labor or slavery, and if it's not that, it's child labor or it's unsafe working conditions or um, not adequate compensation for the work. And so they bring this to the attention of Congress that these huge, huge country, excuse me, huge companies like Nestle and Hershey and Mars and Cargill um, have these, you know, this like horrific child labor happening in their supply chains. Um, and they wanted to pass, you know, binding legislation that would hold these companies accountable for what they're doing. And that eventually got watered down to just a protocol. So it was not legally binding, um, but it set some benchmarks for those companies to um, deal with the worst, most extreme cases of child labor in their supply chains. And it set up these benchmarks every few years to check in on the companies and see what, what progress they had made. And none of those companies have met any of those benchmarks over the past 20 years. Um, and they've, you know, massively failed. There's a Washington Post article that talks about um, the University of Chicago report that was actually created out of um, this Harkin Engel protocol um, and funded by the Department of Labor to Department of Labor to check in on those companies and see what progress they'd made. And um, they've made no progress. Um, there's actually more. A uh, report by Tulane University found in 2013 and 2014 that there's actually more child labor on cocoa plantations than there was in 2000. So the problem has only gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better. And this Supreme Court case that I wrote about um, has been going through the courts um, for many years. It's not a new case. Um, but it's, you know, it's symbolic of the overall problem and um, emblematic of how these huge corporations that make, you know, the chocolate that we eat, how they've, how they've dealt with the problem, which is that they, they haven't and that they um, have stalled and haven't met those, um, those benchmarks and, and, you know, most importantly, haven't um, considered these, you know, massive human rights violations. So more specifically about this case, I, you know, personally found it really interesting because I am planning on going to law school, but, um, you know, the law is so much about history and the specific law that um, these Malian nationals that their lawyers are using is called the Alien Tort Statute. Um, so hang with me here. It sounds pretty boring, but it was it was actually passed by the first Congress, like the first Congress ever in 1789. It was literally signed into law by George Washington, which if, it's just kind of insane that something that was signed into law by George Washington is being was argued in the Supreme Court last week. And, you know, they used the acronym for it, ATS, like in the Supreme Court last week. And I was able to listen to it on my computer. Um, that is so cool. But um, the purpose of the Alien Tort Statute was really to um, stop like piracy and, and things like that that were happening. Um, and basically what the law does, it means that foreign nationals, so people from other countries, can bring lawsuits or cases against Americans in the U.S. federal court system um, when Americans violate international law not in America. Um, so it was used, you know, 
in terms of like slave ships and things like that um, and piracy that would happen, you know, not in the U.S., but it was committed by Americans um, and violated international law. It's also been used um, for things with like ambassadors. So it's like pretty narrow. Um, but since the 1980s, it's been used a little bit more broadly to bring redress for victims of human rights abuses um, that are commuted committed by Americans in other countries. Um, so things like torture or war crimes, if Americans commit them abroad, then um, people from other countries or citizens of other countries can sue Americans in our federal court system for those crimes. Um, so, you know, on that level, it's just fascinating that this law that was created to stop, you know, to be able to um, convict pirates is now being used um, to convict Americans when they commit um, human rights abuses and war crimes. Um, so I'm going to be honest, my, you know, legal um, analysis might not be 100%, and I'll link to an article you can read that is written by a lawyer. But um, basically, Nestle, basically the six Malian nationals um, are using this, this um, statute that was signed by George Washington um, to, you know, to sue Nestle and Cargill saying that they um, were breaking, you know, international laws and committing human rights abuses by aiding and abetting um, those cocoa plantations in, um, in committing, you know, human trafficking and child, child slavery and child labor. Um, and the real question here is, is not, you know, whether this actually happened. That's not what's on trial. It's, um, you know, the question before the Supreme Court and that the justices are trying to decide is, is to decide whether U.S. corporations can be sued under this law. So there's no questions that question that if one single person, you know, committed this crime, like human traffic someone in a different country, that they could be um, convicted for that. But the question here is about corporations and corporate liability, which um, didn't really exist in the same form that it does now. It didn't exist in that same form in 1789. So that's like a little more complicated and I'm not going to pretend that I understand it all, but that's sort of the the legal question before the Supreme Court that they'll decide on or they'll try to get around in their decision um, is whether a U.S. corporation can be convicted for their um, for aiding and abetting um, human rights abuses by, you know, buying this cocoa from the cocoa plantations that use child um, slaves. Um, so... It's complicated, but it's really um, fascinating. Um, I guess one question that that Justice Kagan asked that kind of demonstrates, um, you know, one line of thinking. She said, if you could bring a suit against 10 slaveholders, when those 10 slaveholders form a corporation, why can't you bring a suit against the corporation? So really asking, you know, why should a, a, a huge multinational corporation have like special... Um, you know, treatment or not be held accountable just because um, they have that that label and that, you know, designation of a corporation. Um, but yeah, I think it, it'll be really interesting to see what they decide. Um, it's unlikely that they'll make a, you know, sweeping decision that allows any corporation to be held accountable for any human rights abuse, you know, with this decision. Um, this lawsuit particularly um, there's not a ton of evidence and, you know, it's, it's been going through the courts for a long time. Um, so what, from what I've read, um, you know, Nestle and Cargill might not be, you know, completely, you know, convicted for, for what happened, but I think it's really emblematic of, you know, where this problem is right now and, um, and what's going on with it. 
So obviously this case is you know, more complicated than I've been able to analyze and describe, but I hope you'll go read my article to learn a little bit more about it and some of the legislation that does protect victims of human trafficking. If you, like me, are just appalled that there's children um, hacking down cocoa beans that end up um, in my home and that I eat, there's a few things you can do. The first thing, of course, is to learn more about the issue. There's a great Washington Post article. You can read those reports from, the, from UChicago and from Tulane um, that really give the data and the numbers and describe the conditions that these children um, and even adults, you know, are working in. Um, so that, you know, education element, I think, is really important. There are chocolate companies that commit to be slave-free and that are working on this issue as social enterprises. So I wrote a few weeks ago about Tony's Chocolonely, which is um, such a cute name, but they specialize in slave-free chocolate. They guarantee their cocoa growers a living wage, um, and they encourage other chocolate companies to do the same. They're really active in encouraging... Um, a really transparent supply chain and for caring about people and their growers. They actually submitted an amicus brief in the in that Supreme Court case and that basically just means they submitted a document saying, hey, we support this side of the case for these reasons. You know, we have some special expertise or some, you know, we have a foot in the a foot in the game. Um, we really care about this issue and here's what we have to say about it and here's why we think you should you should rule or decide, not rule, <laughs> you should decide in this way. Um, and so Tony's Chocolate Only obviously was um, submitted that brief to say, hey, this is an issue in the chocolate industry, you know, let's do something about it. Um, like I said, there is some legislation that's gone through Congress. You know, the Harkin Engel Protocol is not legally binding, unfortunately. Um, but I'm going to email my Congress people and say, hey, let's, you know, take a look at that again. And then also supporting the other other legislation that does um, that does provide options for redress for victims of human trafficking. And then lastly, I'm just trying to be a more educated consumer. I'm looking at the products that I buy and I'm saying, do I know who made this product? Do I know how they were compensated and, you know, the conditions that they were working in? And that really, you know, comes back to transparency from companies and making sure that they are telling consumers, you know, all of those things and ensuring their workers a living wage and some of those really, really basic um, benefits. So that is the end of today's podcast episode. I hope you learned something and that you'll go check out that article to learn more. This is a topic that I'm really interested in and hope to continue writing about. So look for more on that. You can catch our next episode tomorrow. We have a handful of episodes from our interns all this week.